Morning, everybody. Good to see everyone here this morning. Great to have you all with us. Great to have um, Dorothy back with us after eye surgery as well. Great to see you. Dorothy was saying it did look, because she's got kind of d- double vision at the moment, like, like there was two of me. There's not. Don't panic. You're okay. <laughs> that would be horrendous <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> well, this is a picture coming up for you now of my youngest great nephew. Great nephew. Yeah, that, that is true. Great nephew. It's scary. Great. And this is uh, Archie, my um, second niece's uh, son. And the jumper he was wearing was knitted for him by my mum, who's always been amazing at knitting. She's a really skillful knitter. And she often used to knit jumpers for us when we were a kid and, and hats and all that kind of stuff, which is great, except when it's an attempt to copy a shop-bought jumper which was the latest fashion item. And way back in 1984, when I was 11, in, in what was year six, it was fashionable to wear cardigans that had a Y on them. I don't know if anybody remembers 1984, kind of vaguely. And uh, they, they were either grey with a maroon Y and stripes on the arm, or they were maroon with a grey Y and stripes on the arm. Okay, Ian's nodding, he remembers them, and Rachel too, well done, excellent. And, and, and here's a picture of what I managed to find on the internet. The colours aren't actually quite the same, but, but that, that's what it looked like. Okay? And basically, you were the coolest guy in the town if you had one of those on. And my middle brother, Colin, who's seven years older than me and has always been kind of cool and fashionable, he had one, or he had several, and all the cool kids at school had them, especially because the colours actually worked synced with our school uniform, which was maroon and grey. And so I really, really wanted one. And so mum, guess what she did? She knitted me one. Yay! (laughs) And although she's really great at knitting, it just didn't look quite the same as the shop-bought one. It'd be kind of like somebody knitting you a super-dry top, and and just it would be obvious that is not authentic super-dry. That's just not cool. It'd be really embarrassing. So you can imagine the stick I got in the school playground from all the other... Uh, year uh, seven, uh, uh, year six kids. You know, Gibbo's, Gibbo's mum knits his clothes and, and kind of other similarly less nice taunts that I got. Um, I'm kind of still kind of traumatised by that to this day, as you, you know, as, as you can tell. It's kind of sort of deep inside that hurt still is there. And the reality was that the cardigan my mum knitted for me was actually far better quality than anything you could buy in the shops. It was, you know, it was handmade. It was wool. It was much better than the mass-produced versions, but it just didn't look quite as cool. And, and that's all that really matters, isn't it, when you're 11 or, or any age in a school playground. Now, last week we looked uh, at the priest in the tabernacle, and we looked briefly at the special outfits that um, were made for them. And these outfits were made not by my mum, but by a guy called Aholiab. And I'm really glad that my mum didn't make me wear an outfit like that when I went to school. Although sometimes what I had to wear on Sundays was a bit embarrassing. I think Eddie's just gone off to a school uh, uh, party. And sometimes I used to have to go on a Sunday to a party. But I had to wear what I'd have to wear to church. And in those days that meant a suit. It's a little bit embarrassing when you turn up at a party in a suit. Anyway, again, something I'm just getting off my chest. The, those hurts that are still, <laughs> I still carry with me for a long time. Aholiab and another man called Bezalel were chosen by God to be the chief craftsman to make everything that went inside the tabernacle and to oversee the making of it and the building of it and to do all the construction that went with it. Remember we said over the last few weeks, the tabernacle was basically a portable tent that uh, the Israelites worshipped God in and through. 
uh, as they were worshipping and as they were working their way through the, the uh, desert for 40 years. And so they made, these guys made the priest's clothes and also the main altar and the things that Rolf's been talking about, the washing basin, the labor, the candlestick, the, the table with the 12 loaves of bread on, the altar of incense. And then as you went right inside the curtain, then you went inside and there was the, the Ark of the Covenant. In addition to all those items of furniture in the tabernacle, uh, we'll try it once more, Toby, and then we'll, we'll, we'll give up. Then there was, all the way around the actual tabernacle, there was this white linen fence, okay, which went right the way around, you can see it there, and that kind of screened off everything that was going on inside. And to do all this work, it required an amazing amount of skill and ability. Now, my mum's a great knitter, she is really good, but I think she would have really struggled to make the priest outfits, it might have been a little bit beyond her. But before they could make all these different things, they needed some materials to work with, obviously. So God gave the Israelites the instructions to provide everything that Holy Ab and Bezalel needed. And we find this in Exodus 25, and verses 1 to 9. So if you've got a Bible handy, I'm going to turn to Exodus 25, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 9. So this is uh, about three months into the desert since they've left Egypt. And uh, Exodus 25, verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, you might be wondering where on earth, uh, or how on earth, the Israelites had all of these things with them uh, to be used as an offering to make the tabernacle and to make the priest's clothes and all the furniture and all the stuff that went with it. How on earth did two and a half million Israelites, and there was at least that many, how did two and a half million Israelites who had just escaped from slavery, they'd been slaves only a few months earlier, and were living in the desert in tents, how on earth did they have all of this gold and all of this silver and all these precious stones and all of this kind of material and so on, uh, how did they have it? Well, on the night that the Israelites left Egypt, about three months earlier, on the very night of that first Passover, the Egyptians gave them, bizarrely, gave them everything that they needed to do that. Look at Exodus 12:35. It's on your outline. It should be an outline on your seat. It'll also be up there on the screen for us. And it says this, The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the, the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So the Israelites left Egypt with this vast treasury of silver and gold and bronze and all these precious stones and all of the... Um, uh, fine clothing and all the stuff that they needed to make the tabernacle and then as they camped at the foot of Mount Sinai and were ready to start building the tabernacle and making all of the clothes and, and the furniture and all the different things in the and the curtains and so on God then told them to present what the Egyptians had given to them as an offering to him it was an act of worship from their hearts to God an act of worship from them to him. Exodus 25 verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. And so lots of people, not everybody, those whose hearts were prompting them to give, brought the, uh, 
brought what the Egyptians had given to them just three months earlier, and they gave it as an offering to God through Moses to be used then to construct the tabernacle and to make everything that went inside it. And if you look at Exodus 38, you can see just how much the people brought in worship to God. There was one ton of gold, there was 3.4 tons of silver, and there was 2.4 tons of bronze. So this isn't kind of a few coins or a few scraps of gold. This is massive amounts, okay? One ton of gold, 3.4 tons of silver, and 2.4 tons of bronze. And all of this, along with the precious stones and fine clothes, uh, that were, uh, was then used for, to make the tabernacle. And we uh, see what is interesting here is that God didn't force them to do this. This was a free will offering. It was the people's hearts that moved them, or God prompting their hearts. The people were to give what their hearts prompted them to give. It was a free will offering. And actually, we see this kind of concept and principle running right the way throughout the Bible. God doesn't, or God, God could force people to give. That would be his right. He created all things. Everything is his. The cattle on the a thousand hills are are his, the wealth in every mind. But God doesn't force us to give. God looks for us. He prompts our hearts. He looks for us to give freely. He doesn't want forced or reluctant obedience. God wants our love. God wants our hearts. He doesn't want us doing stuff because we have to. He wants us doing the things we do for him because we want to, because he's got our hearts. And God is still the same today. God is unchanging. And he wants our love and he wants our hearts. And, you know, what we do with our money, with the wealth, with the gold and silver and bronze that we have, whatever that looks like for us, what we do with our money reveals what we love the most in life. What we do with our money reveals what we love the most in life. Our bank statements show where God features in, the pri in our priorities in life. The things that we choose to spend our money on are the things that we love things that we choose to spend our money, some things we don't have any choice about. Gas, for instance, that's a, a non-negotiable at the minute, isn't it? And that's a huge issue. But the things that we choose to spend our money on are the things that we love. Jesus said these words, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, God doesn't need anything from us, but he longs for us to give what we have to him as a demonstration of our love to him. Our giving is an act of worship. When we give, when we choose to give, it's an act of worship from our hearts to God. I wonder where your heart is this morning. Where is your heart? Where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where is your heart this morning? Does God have your heart this morning? Does God have your love this morning? Is God number one? in your life uh, and do your finances reflect that we've seen over the last few weeks can we kill that Toby and just go to the lectern thanks we've seen over the last few weeks just how detailed the designs were for the priest clothes for the tabernacle itself and for all the furniture that went inside and to make all of this needed some incredibly skillful people you couldn't just turn up and, and construct the tabernacle it was just way too complicated and as skillful as my mum is and was and, and is at, at, at knitting I think the tabernacle would pretty much have been beyond her and certainly it would be, on, be beyond my DIY skills so God chose two men Bezalel and Aholiab to do the work and then they were helped by a whole group of uh, other people who had similar skills 
And we find this in Exodus 31, verses 1 to 11. So Exodus 31, 1 to 11. If you've got a Bible handy, if you want to flip over, Exodus 31, verses 1 to 11. says this, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I have commanded you. It's not clear whether these two men were already craftsmen. It probably were, I think. But whether they were or not, God decided that they needed a kind of supernatural injection of skill. Verse 1 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the direct result of that, that the main aim of that, was that he then had supernatural skill and ability from God to do all this really, really difficult and skillful work. And the assumption is that This filling with the Holy Spirit was also true for Aholiab and for all those who uh, were assisting them. Uh, If you look at verse 6, it says this, Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. And then in verse 10, it says this, All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. When we study the Bible, what we see is that any skill or ability that we have is actually seen as being given by God and from God. There is nothing we have that has not come from God, everything. Even if it wasn't from a kind of extra and supernatural gifting as happened to Bezalel. And the point is this, that when God calls us or asks us to do something, then he equips us for that task. When God calls us or asks us to do something for him, he equips us for that task. God has given us all a whole load of different skills and abilities and he then leads us and calls us to serve him in ways that are related to those skills and gifts and abilities and when sometimes he does call us to step out and do something that we don't feel equipped to do or we feel ill-equipped for then we can trust him to supernaturally equip us for that moment and for that uh, thing that we need to do for him It might be that you've been sensing God calling you to step out and serve him in in perhaps a new way or in a way that you've not done before. And if that's the case, well, God normally calls us in accordance with the gifts and abilities and and talents that we have. That's what God does. That's why he's made us. We're not the way we are by accident. 
But sometimes God does call us to do things that we're not used to doing or, or are a bit out of our comfort zones. And if that is you this morning, if you think God is calling you to take a step which is out of the ordinary and you just feel totally ill-equipped for, please trust God to supernaturally equip you for what he's calling you to do. God equips those he calls. He gifts those he calls. God is simply looking for those who love him, whose hearts are for him, whose hearts are willing to serve him, and then he looks after the rest. We don't have to worry too much about what, where we're at. We just need to give him our heart, and God will look after the rest. Exodus 36 verse 2 says this, Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. It's about whether we're willing to serve God or not. That's what God wants is a heart that's for him. If we're willing, he will do the rest. It's about where our hearts are. And when they completed all their amazing work, making the priest clothes, the tabernacle, the furniture, we then read these words. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded him. So Moses blessed them. Exodus 31 tells us that Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God, which in turn meant that he had this kind of supernatural skill and ability to, to oversee and himself actually do most of the really skilled work. In the Old Testament, before Jesus died, before he rose again and returned to heaven, the Holy Spirit was only given to people, uh, uh, not to everybody, it was only given to some people. The Holy Spirit was only given for a, a period of time. Sometimes that was a, a person's whole life, but generally just for a period of time and only for them to accomplish a certain task that God wanted them to have. And we see that with Bezalel. But when Jesus returned to heaven, God then sent the Holy Spirit and he poured him out on everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. And so now the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon us for a kind of period of time to do special things. The Holy Spirit comes and fills and lives within every single Christian. Every single Christian forever. It's not a temporary thing. It's not just for some. Every single one of us is filled with the Holy Spirit when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians about those who've put their faith and trust in Jesus. He said, he, that, that's God, anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So if you've trusted in Jesus this morning, then you now have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are God's temple. You are a, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. God's spirit and your spirit united forever. So write that on your outline. If I've trusted in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit fills and lives in me. That is a mind-blowing statement if you think about it. That's why I want you to write it down because it's so important. that The Holy Spirit, God, actually lives in us. And we are now united forever to God through his Spirit living in us. If we've trusted in Jesus. What we've seen over the last few weeks is that when we trust in Jesus, we become saints, we become priests. And here we see that when we trust in Jesus, we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and changes us. We become brand new people from the inside out with a brand new purpose and mission in life. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, then he also, one of the things he does, he gives us 
special gifts and abilities to serve God and to serve others. They're called the gifts of the spirit or spiritual gifts or gifts of grace. They're special abilities that we either didn't have before we became a Christian or that to some, or that we had to some degree, but that the Holy Spirit has then kind of supercharged, if you like. Sometimes they're called spiritual gifts, sometimes they're called grace gifts or gifts of grace. There's a whole list of them, and I've put the references on your outline. You can look at them later when you get home if you want. We haven't got time to go into those specific gifts this morning. Some of them are supernatural, like healing. You can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit, things like speaking in tongues or prophesying. Others are much more ordinary for want of a better word, things like administration or helping or teaching or serving. They are all part of the list of spiritual gifts, the gifts and abilities that the Holy Spirit gives us when he comes within us and fills us. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. We don't all receive the same spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, and that's because each one of us is unique. We are all different. And God has a unique plan for you to serve him in this life that is different from his unique plan for me and and the, the things that he wants you to do will be unique and will be different from the things that he wants me to do he'll give me a different set of spiritual gifts to the spiritual gifts that he's given you to in 1 Corinthians 12 after listing some of the gifts of the spirit Paul then says all these gifts are the work of one and the same spirit he gives them to each one just as he determines so we're not all the same And the roles that God has for each one of us are not all the same. And so the gifts that we're given by the Holy Spirit will be different depending on God's uh, wisdom to us. But every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. If you have trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you and everybody has at least one spiritual gift. You probably have many more than that, but everybody has at least one. Do not believe the lie of Satan that says you have nothing to offer God. I don't have any spiritual gifts. I I can't do anything. That is a lie of the devil. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He has gifted you, he has anointed you, and he will work through you if your heart is for him. But the amount or the type of spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us doesn't depend on how holy we are or how obedient we are to God or how mature we are as a Christian. Spiritual gifts are not a sign of spiritual maturity or growth, okay? Spiritual gifts are not a sign of spiritual maturity or growth. The Holy Spirit gives different gifts to each person just as he determines, based on the role he wants us to perform in life. It's not based on how good or spiritually mature we are. It's not like, you know, after 10 years of being a Christian, then God gives me this gift because he can trust me. And so it doesn't work like that. He gives each one as he determines. Spiritual gifts are sometimes called gifts of grace. That's what charismatic means. It's a gift of grace, a grace gift. And, And that's because these are special abilities given to us based not on anything that we have done or that we have earned. They're gifts, they're abilities that God in his grace has given to us. That's what charismatic means. A person can have lots of gifts from the Holy Spirit and still be a very immature Christian. And, and equally, an incredibly mature Christian can, might only have one or two spiritual gifts. The two things are not related. A mature Christian has the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit, the outcome, the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That is not the same as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul lists some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4, and he says this, and these are all different spiritual gifts. And he, that's God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for, work, for the work of ministry, for building up 
the body of Christ. Just as Bezalel and Aholiab were given the skills and abilities to build the physical temple, so God gives every single Christian believer today gifts and abilities to build not a physical temple, but the spiritual house of God. Remember, we said last week that whenever a church comes to gather together, it becomes God's spiritual house. This is God's house where believers gather. We, we create, if you like, the spiritual house of God, the spiritual temple, and God is right there by the power of his spirit. And so the Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different people so that God's spiritual house, the local church, what the Bible calls the body of Christ, can be built up. Not building a, a physical town, a, a tabernacle anymore, but the gifts that we're given, unlike Bezalel and the Holy Ab, which were for a physical temple, our gifts are to build up this spiritual temple. No longer is it about building a physical temple, it's about using our special Holy Spirit-given abilities to build up our local church family. Spiritual gifts are given to help build the spiritual temple, God's gathered people, the local church. And we all have a different part to play in that which is why we all get a different set of gifts, Holy Spirit-given abilities. The important thing is that like Bezalel and Aholiab and all the other people that God gifted uh, with skill there in Exodus so that they could build the tabernacle and everything that went inside it, the important thing is that not so much that we've got the gifts, but that we use the gifts. That's what's really important. It's no use being given these gifts from God and then not using them. Peter says these words, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Again, those various forms, different kinds of gifts. Faithfully administering it, making sure we use it, making sure we use our gifts faithfully. If we've trusted in Jesus, then every single one of us has at least one spiritual gift. And most of us will have quite a few. But whatever gifts and abilities we have, we need to use them. We need to use them faithfully. We need to administer God's grace faithfully. We're to use them to serve God and to serve each other, to build up the house of God. They're not to be hidden away, not to be kind of left on the shelf, not to be used just for our benefit. They're for God's glory and they're for the benefit of everybody else. Any gifts you have are there to bless others with. Paul says this in Romans 12 where he mentions some more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So whatever gifts we have or have been given, we need to crack on and use them to serve God and to serve others. Paul says, whatever gifts you've got, use them, and use them properly, use them well. If I was to ask you this morning, what gifts the Holy Spirit has given to you, I wonder what you would say. If I said to you, right, what are your spiritual gifts? I wonder, what, I wonder how you would respond this morning. Every single one of you, if you're a Christian believer, if you trusted in Jesus, has at least one gift. So I wonder if you could say, well, these are my spiritual gifts. We should be able to say that. We should know what our spiritual gifts are. Maybe not immediately as a new Christian, but within a short space of time, we should know what our spiritual gifts are. Otherwise, how can we really intelligently serve God? The thing is that most Christians actually struggle to do that. And I suspect that's probably true for this morning. Most people think, yeah, I'm not really sure. I kind of think maybe this, or I'm not really sure. And 
if that's you this morning, then can I suggest a, a really helpful tool in just kind of teasing some of that out? Uh, we've got a tool that we use here, which we give to all new church members when, when they come. Those of you who joined the church um, over recent years will recognize this, a, a spiritual gifts inventory, and we ask everybody to complete that. And it's a really helpful tool. There's, there's uh, different questions that just ask, you know, kind of different questions. And the idea is that you just kind of go with your instant response. And when you sort of add those up and, and there's a kind of system for doing that, it teases out and it just shows, oh, yeah, th these are my spiritual gifts. These are the things that have stood out. These are how I've answered it, according to how I've answered it. That would suggest that I've got these gifts. That would suggest that I've got those gifts. It's a really helpful tool. And I've got a copy here take it away with you I can print loads more off I can email you one seriously if you are not sure what your spiritual gifts are this morning or maybe even if you've done that in the past but you're still a little bit vague or you know maybe you've been a few years ago then then fill that in use it pray about it and then by all means come and chat with one of us as elders and, and come and kind of pray that through what might that look like what does that mean for me it just asks whole lot of simple questions and then you rate yourself as to how true those suggestions are for you and then you add those ratings up and then it just teases out and just helps us kind of be a bit clearer about the spiritual gifts those special abilities that the Holy Spirit has given to us but the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us are only part of the story because there's much more to you there's much more to me than just our spiritual gifts Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now the Greek word workmanship literally means God's poem, poema, God's one-of-a-kind masterpiece. That is you. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are God's one-of-a-kind masterpiece. You are God's poem, God's piece of art, God's workmanship. And you've been created, not just to look nice, to be nice, but to do good works which God prepared before eternity before time began he prepared those good works for you to do now none of us are ever going to be asked to build a tabernacle we don't need a tabernacle anymore or a temple but he has prepared good works in advance for us to do God has things that he wants you to do that he wants me to do and those things will be different sometimes they'll be in partnership sometimes they'll be uh, separately just as he did with Bezalel and Aholiab, God has things that he wants you to do and ways he wants you to serve. And our Holy Spirit-given special abilities are part of that and are part of what we need to then be able to serve God and serve others. But God hasn't just given us spiritual gifts. That's not the whole story. He's also created everything else about us. Everything is actually from God. Everything about you is God-created, not just your spiritual gifts. He's created our heart, not, well, yes, our physical heart, but by our heart, I mean the, the things that we're passionate about, the kind of things that we have a heart for. That's from God. That is God-given. The things that you wake up, oh, I get excited about that. For me, it's, it's history, it's politics, it's mountains, it's RAF jets. It's kind of an eclectic mix, I know. Still working out where the RAF jets fits in, my, in serving God. But anyway, they're the things that, whoa, I just get excited about. My family history, things like that. And that'll be completely different for you different things it might be foreign travel it might be different languages it might it could be all sorts of health care it could be all kind of things but that is not a mistake you were created to do good works you are God's poema God's masterpiece is one of a kind creation and the things that you get excited about are, have been put there by God just as much as your Holy Spirit given special abilities the spiritual gifts that we have 
He's also given us what we sometimes just call our natural abilities. Well, there's nothing natural about them. They're also God-given. God created us. We were knit together in our mother's womb. And God knows everything about us intimately and intricately as he made us and as he designed us. And so we apparently have between 500 and 700 skills each. It's amazing, isn't it? You might think, well, I haven't got any skills or abilities. You have. You are packed full of skills and abilities. It might be DIY, playing an instrument, might be IT skills, might be singing, even producing spreadsheets like Paul. All sorts of abilities that we can serve with. We need spreadsheets. And he's given us also our personality. Every one of us is unique. There is no one else quite like me, for which my parents and you all, I'm sure, are forever grateful. Can you imagine two of me? That is a scary thought, isn't it? But, but the fact is that we all have a unique personality. And God has given that personality to us for a reason. Now, all these things can be twisted and damaged by sin, for sure. But in themselves, they are God-given. And they're given to us by God for a reason. And then we have a whole variety of experiences which are also unique to us. And whether they're good or bad, we can use the experience that we've gained from those things to serve God and others. Romans tells us, doesn't it, that all things work together for good for those who love him. And these five things are our spiritual gifts, our heart, the things that we're passionate about, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences. Spell shape. I didn't invent this, by the way. Someone else came up with this. But it's really helpful, I think, as a tool for us to get our heads around, well, who am I and how can I serve God? What is my shape? We all have a physical shape, but we also all have a spiritual shape. We are God's one-of-a-kind masterpiece, God's poema, God's poem, God's workmanship, God's wonderful painting. And it's important that we know who we are. It's important that we know what our shape is. If God's called us to serve, well, what can I do then? And I need to do the things that God's wired me to do, that God has shaped me to do. We also use a survey which goes with the spiritual gifts inventory called shape. And that just helps kind of tease out those things our spiritual gifts, our, our, the things that we're passionate about, our heart, our abilities, our personality, our experiences. And it's a really helpful tool just to kind of get a clear sense or a clearer sense about who we are. And, and if you think about and list the things that you have a heart for, the things that you're passionate about, and then you write them down, and then you think about your abilities and write them down, and then you think about your personality and how that might influence how you then serve God, and, and, and then think about your experiences and look at what God has taught you through those experiences, whether good or bad. And, and then that creates our shape. My experience is that most of us as Brits, or most of us who are, are Brits here today anyway, or certainly used to kind of growing up in a British culture, tend to be a bit negative about ourselves, tend to think, well, I don't have much to offer. You know, I'm just little old me. And, you know, any, any kind of boasting or kind of having a, a sense of self, self is not really part of our culture, is it? You go to America and you say, well, what's your gifts? America, yeah, I'm good at this, I'm good at that, I'm good at the other. We, we had a team once, uh, uh, um, a glow team, when we were in Hereford, and we had two Americans on the team. And the first day I just said to them all, right, guys, it would be great. Um, most were Brits, but I said, look, it'd be great if you could just tell me what, what your gifts and abilities are. So I don't want to ask you to do stuff that you're not comfortable with and want you to get to, you know, fitting in the right thing. All of this kind of concept, really. What's your shape and, and, and how can we use you? And how can you fit in? And, well, the Brits all just said, well, I'm not very good at anything, really. 
done a bit of this, done a bit of that. That was that was about as good as much as I got from them. Two Americans, well, I'm awesome. I can do this and I can do that. And the Brits were all looking at me like, oh, you know, it's just this distasteful. It's just bragging. Well, they weren't bragging. I'd asked them what they were good at, so they told me. And our cult, it's just our culture. We just don't like that. But that's not good or bad. That's just our culture. And it's a bad part of our culture, to be frank. We need to be honest about who God has made. We are God. You are God's poem. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's one-of-a-kind masterpiece. His beautiful painting created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are amazing. Sin has damaged that for sure, but you are God's poem. And we need to think of that and recapture that in our own hearts and minds. Once you know your shape, it, gets you, it helps you and it really helps get a much better idea then of how and where we can serve God and how we can serve others. And, and if you'd like to work through that, if you'd like to chat with me about it afterwards, that, then come and see me. I, I can send you it or we can chat about it. I'd love to talk about that with you if, if you wanted to do that. The important thing is that we not only know what our spiritual gifts are, in fact our whole shape is, but that we then use our shape. We use the ways in which God has uh, gifted and, and uh, fashioned us and shaped us. That's what's really important, that we use that to then serve God and others. God won't force us to serve him. God didn't drag Bezalel and Aholiab kicking and screaming to the tabernacle to build it. He will use those whose hearts are for him, those who are willing to serve him. And if we serve God and, and do the things that he wants us to do, and the things that we do for him then will be every bit as beautiful as the tabernacle was and all of the things that went inside the tabernacle. The things that we do for God, if our hearts are for him, will be every bit as amazing and as beautiful in God's eyes as those amazing bits of furniture were and the, those amazing clothes and, and, and the veil and all that kind of stuff. When we use our possessions and our money and our gifts and abilities to serve God, then he sees that, even if no one else does. A lot of the time, how we serve is behind the scenes and it's, and it's hidden, but God sees that. And it's beautiful to him. Just as the tabernacle was beautiful, the, when we serve God, God sees what we do and it's beautiful to him. When you come and clean the church building during the week and, and no one else sees that, that's beautiful in God's eyes. When you help with the kids' work, that's beautiful in God's eyes. When you act with integrity at work and you're faithful to God, that is a beautiful thing in God's eyes. When you share your faith with someone, no matter how kind of haltingly or, 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 or stutteringly as it would be in my case, that is beautiful in God's eyes. It's important that we not only know what our shape is, and we should know that, but we need to know not only our shape, but then we need to use that and serve God and serve others because one day, those of us who've trusted in Jesus will stand before Jesus face to face, and that'll be an amazing day. But there will be a tinge of reality check to that as well, because each one of us at that moment will have to give an account to our Lord and Savior for how we've lived since we've trusted in Jesus and what we've done with what he's given to us. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. That's why Peter writes about faithfully administering God's gifts, God's grace. We need to faithfully administer what he's given to us. And we'll have to stand and give an account to Jesus on that day. What have I done with my talents? What have I done with my abilities? What have I done with my wealth, my possessions? Did I use them for you, Jesus, or not? 
And that'll be a, a kind of sobering moment, won't it? To stand before him and give an account. Paul writes these words, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus on that final day, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. How do we hear those words? Well, we work out who we are, we work out what our shape is, and we get busy using our shape. We bring our hearts, we bring what we have in love to God and say, here I am, send me. Here I am, use me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we trust in you, that you give us your Holy Spirit and he transforms us and makes us brand new from the inside out. Thank you, the Holy Spirit, that when you come and live in our hearts and we become your temple, that you not only dwell in us and, uh, and give us the ability to relate to you, God, but you also give us these wonderful spiritual gifts, these special abilities that are from you. Release those in us, I pray this morning. Release those within those across this church, I pray this morning. Help us to know what our spiritual gifts are, Father. Would you help us in that? Would you help us to use them for your glory and for the benefit of others? Father, we acknowledge too that we are not just our spiritual gifts. You have created us in our mother's womb. You knit us together. All our days were written in your book before one of them came to be. We are your masterpiece, your one-of-a-kind poem created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And I pray this morning, Lord, that each one of us would really know who we are and how we can serve you and help us not just to know but then to, to, to do and to give. Lord, would you lead us this morning, help us to uh, be those who, like Bezalel and Aholiab, used our gifts and abilities, our skill to serve you in whatever way it is you're calling us to do. We just want to offer our hearts to you this morning, Lord. We want to come afresh before your throne and, and just say, Lord, here we are. This is, this is me, Lord. I, I just come before you this morning and, I, and here I am, Lord. Would you use me? Lord, here, here, here is me, my, my car, my house, my, my bank balance, my abilities, my time, my, uh, my, my, my talents, my personality, my experiences. Lord, would you use it all for your glory? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.